This episode of Asians Represent is brought to you by our amazing supporters at patreon.com slash aznsrepresent and the OneShot Podcast Network. Join our Discord community by heading to aznsrepresent.com. Welcome, everyone, to Asians Represent. Welcome to the podcast. I hear... Uh, on Twitch, on YouTube, or if you're listening, uh, you know, in your ears for um, for the audio listeners, in, uh, your for the, in your ears for those in of you who are ears. new, because I realize that when I'm, we do, I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when we do a different topic like Magic the Gathering, which we've done twice on the wrap up episode 13 and 15. Uh, 15 was actually one where we looked at the original Kamigawa set. Um, I'll put a link in um, at the end of this episode on YouTube and in the show notes on uh, for audio listeners. Uh, this is the podcast where we sort of celebrate and examine Asian representation in tabletop games and pop culture. Uh, I'm Daniel, and I am here with three amazing guests, folks who I feel like I talk about magic a lot with. I have <laughs> Michelle, Jackie, and Emma, um, folks who, you know, if you listen to the show or watch the show, you, you know these faces. You've seen uh, us. Perhaps. You've seen us, us, heard us. I, I am going to now do the thing that I know Iza hates, and I'm going to praise all of you. Uh, um, the the how best, the, the how best, dare you, most, Daniel. I know, how dare you? The best, most talented ceramicist in all of TTRPGs, and the tied for number one biggest Fast and Furious fan, Michelle, um, Kilmvin Fodder, the best. Uh, Michelle, you were one of the people who got me back into magic and helped me kind of like navigate it initially Hashtag, sorry i'm not sorry <laughs> sorry not sorry, sorry. um we have back in now too michelle gotcha. I believe yeah. you. We, we, we have another another victim of michelle's um mtg enthusiasm jackie former magic broker um our our ranger who picked the florida resident subclass um <laughs> jackie illustrious publisher head of unbreak one of the heads of unbreakable publishing you folks have put out some amazing shit. Uh, we talk about that a lot. There is always an unbreakable link down below on Twitch. Um, so un- unbreakable is special to Asians represent. And one of my oldest friends and amazing cultural consultant, a doctor of archaeology. Huh. <laughs> is huh. there a doctor in the room? Is there a doctor? doctor my friend is a doctor. And I would 100% say that on a plane. It's like, we need this analyzed for what kind of bread? What are you using? What starch is present? Um, What starch? But that said, we have Dr. Emma Yasui, archaeologist, cultural consultant extraordinaire. I am. Mono green and green black player. Mono green and green black player. Yeah, I'm yes. the guy who I'm the guy who plays Cranko, and then everybody picks on me. Um, yeah, because as, as we should. <laughs> um, I'm that guy. Twenty swords on a cat, and then just lets it go free. Uh, I'm the person who decided to ca- to have a storm count of twenty five and just cast a grape shot for no reason. <laughs> yeah, Jackie. thanks, thanks, Ken, in the chat for saying that I deserve it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's me. But I'm also. My my favorite deck actually that I um that I have is my Yuriko deck. I absolutely love my Yuriko deck. Um, a because I think it's really fucking cool. Uh, B because it is the first deck that I made on my own. 
It's the first commander deck I made on my own. My Krenko deck, uh, all the credit goes to Peter. Uh, Peter, one of our Discord mods, basically said, buy these cards. And I said, okay. And I bought them. Um, <laughs> I made some modifications later um, as I like. I kind of got back into Magic. And by got back into Magic, I got heavily addicted to it. Um, but yeah, I updated But the Yuriko deck was the first one that I ever made. Uh, on my own, no input, and I've been slowly making it, um, trying to improve it. And so uh, when they announced this sort of Neon Dynasty, this Kamigawa Neon Dynasty sort of set, I was really uh, intrigued. Uh, cautiously at first, because like we talked about in the wrap-up episode 15, it was the intent behind the original Kamigawa is the kind of intent that resulted in the problems of the set. A, the set, like, first of all, mechanically wasn't well-received, as we learned. Um, I mean, there are certainly some cool Kamigawa cards that I, I have definitely benefited from in my ninja deck. Um, but at the same time, it's not the best example of Asian representation in Magic the Gathering. Um, now, with Kamigawa Neon, Neon Dynasty, we have a really good opportunity to try to push this hobby forward and by me and by we i mean the community has a really good opportunity to have an honest discussion about what we want um not only from artistic representations to creators we want and folks who we want to see work on magic more um so i'm really excited just to have this conversation this is not you know, an episode where we're just going to sit here and praise uh, the Neon Dynasty set. Um, there are certainly things to celebrate about it, and we're going to talk about that. But we also want to talk about what's next, what could have been done, what needs to be improved on, because that's what you do when you're a fan of something. You want it to be better. You want more people to enjoy it. I think a lot of people, when they listen to Asians represent or watch us or see Three out of four people here have a habit of making really spicy Twitter threads, um, and that's okay. Um, but when they see us making threads like that, or when they see us criticizing something like Oriental Adventures, or as the four of us have done, Caratour, they think, oh, you're, you're just being haters. We're not. That's not what we're doing. We're talking about it, and we're having these conversations because we want D&D, Magic the Gathering, any other game we've really talked about, we want them to be more welcoming to people. We want this game to be played by more people because if more people play it, more products come out and the game itself and the world and the people we see making it and the shows and personalities out there that we see promoting these projects are more reflective of the actual base. And that's what we want to see. So if we're critical of Neon Dynasty, we're not being fucking haters. I mean, I'm literally holding a card that I really fucking hate. We're going to talk about Dockside Chef. But there's a lot that I really, really love. And I think when we, when we see members of the Asian community going in and trying to do something good here, going and trying to make a difference, we should uplift them. Um, but again, just because you're Asian doesn't mean you you are shielded from, you know, feedback, right? Asians represent itself has changed a lot, right? We have changed our tone. We've changed the kind of content that we make. Um, we even changed how we produce the show to 
make it more sustainable for me <laughs> to, to, to actually do. Um, so again, if you're listening to this or watching this, this is coming from a place of love. Magic the Gathering is very special to all of us in very different ways. Um, one end, it's like, I just get to make squirrels. And that's totally valid. It's right? a thing I do sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> Emma just goes out and makes squirrels. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's it's like know? the polka dot man. And I have the, I have the Toski yeah, exactly, art card. Exactly. <laughs> has got the Toski art card. Oh, Toski art card. It's so good. <laughs> I'm still waiting for you to just pop off with Toski, but you never seem to get Toski when you, when you play yeah, a squirrel there. Yeah, one day. Um, but like, here's the thing. Like, I'm... I'm very grateful for magic and I want it to be better. So that's what this conversation is about. Long intro preamble over. Um, that said, um, there are a couple things to talk about here. Um, I wanted to kind of have this conversation organically. Uh, Michelle and I had like a earlier, we just like vented and had like a discussion of things. And uh, Emma later joined us. Jackie, you were out, but that's okay. And I think we, we came to the conclusion that it's more productive for us to talk about, you know, the context in which this was made and of which there is a ton of information out there uh, and what we think can be better. Now we have some questions from patrons uh, that I definitely want to address down the line. Uh, I'm going to start with them. We don't have to answer them right away. In fact, I'd love for us to answer them later, but I want you folks to think about them because in the past I've said, hey, these are our patron questions. And then folks are just like, oh, um, because sometimes they're like really insightful and nuanced questions. Um, so there's three questions. Uh, the first one is what, if anything, is this set doing to help bring an Asian person into the hobby and make them feel comfortable? Right. And this actually ties to a topic that I wanted to talk about in the first place. And it's how do you make Magic the Gathering a global game? Right. How does how do you succeed at this and what's holding it back? Right. Second thing is uh, the second question is they just wrote Dockside Chef. We'll talk about that. Uh, doesn't need much thought. Um, actually, there is going to be a conversation around it because I think three of us had the same reaction and Michelle, you had a different reaction to it. Initial reaction. Initial mostly because the art was very small. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Yeah. Small art. Small art. Ishan. Ishan, right? It happens. Yeah. Um and the final one is a, a you know a pretty uh I think a pretty easy question. And it's uh how do the mechanic oh nope hard question. Misread it. Dyslexia, sorry. Um how do the mechanics help enforce the idea that this is a Japanese inspired setting and how? Ooh. And then good, they also question. wrote, I'm also question. interested in the new mechanics. So I think these are all really fantastic questions. I mean, one's more of a statement. Talk about Dockside Chef. Um, <laughs> Dockside Chef. I think the overarching uh, yeah. theme to these questions is really like, how does this communicate its Asian-ness? Right? What is the intent to that? And how do you get Asian people and just people of various cultures all over the world playing Magic the Gathering? Um, I think it's important for us to then also provide a little context to the viewers and listeners about where we're kind of coming as Magic the Gathering players. Uh, I played a lot of Magic the Gathering between 2007 and 2008. That's really it for me. And I stopped playing Magic because I was like, I can't afford this. 
I now have a, I have a, a good day job. And last year, Wizards of the Coast were like, we're making a D&D set. And I said, fuck, I'm back. <laughs> um, uh, there's always that one set. There's always that there's, one set. There's that, that set. You I mean, there, I was excited originally for Strixhaven. Uh, and then I uh, just can't play that. Uh, I won't touch. I won't touch any like Killian cards or anything like that. I just can't out of, out of principle. Um, but I got back recently with the D and D set. And basically since like December, uh, we've been playing commander almost like weekly. Um, mm-hmm. I went from having zero commander decks to having eight commander decks. Yeah. Welcome um, to that part of your life. <laughs> um, I have a passion for storage. So playing magic also kind of, works into my other passion of putting box things in boxes and then those boxes in other boxes and then organizing those boxes. Um, so there are multiple layers to why I like this, but that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from. I, uh, I didn't really play. I dabbled in high school, then played a lot in university and then, uh, and then stopped for a really long time. So I'm kind of getting back into magic. The, the story and lore of magic was never a thing I thought about. Never think I didn't even honestly didn't even realize there was one um, until very recently. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Uh, we might as well go from left to right on our video overlay. Michelle, like, where are you coming from as like a Magic the Gathering player? Gosh, okay. Well, I am what you call a Vorthos. Um, so when I first started playing Magic the Gathering, I was a little later in life. Uh, this was back in 2014. Uh, when Magic Origins came out, um, when they were just starting the Gatewatch arc, and they, uh, I got into it because the marginalized like queer group at my startup all played Magic, and then the startup was also like, "We're just gonna blow a lot of money on booster sets, like just open like twenty two packs and create a sealed deck that way." And I'm like, "Okay," <laughs> so got hooked from then on. Um, and just got really interested in the story. So since then, I've done a lot of content creation for Magic. I've worked with a bunch of other content creators, such as um, Little Ready Run, uh, The Professor, from Tulane Community College. I've uh, written for Card Kingdom extensively on like character analysis and also some goofy ones like, which planeswalkers are the most dateable? Um, which but one is also, the most dateable? That's what we all know, need to know. Oh, God. It's an important question. Up, but... <laughs> I mean, later, I put Gideon, later, that's a later, later question. That's a later, later question. Later, but Gideon's on that list for sure. Um, I, I'm going to write this down as a patron question. As a patron question. <laughs> Who would you date? Tell me now. And then for a few years, I also had a uh, comedy lore podcast called The Lore Goifs, uh, where we riffed on lovingly um, a lot of uh, a lot of the story for Magic uh, up until Strixhaven. And, and then we were like, I was just like, can't, <laughs> won't. <Yeah. laughs> Um, so we've been on Hayes for a while, but in the meantime, I've still been, you know, guesting on different things, um, continuing to tweet out my hot, spicy takes and, uh, yeah, just play magic with friends. And don't forget tweeting about cat stuff too. I tweet so much cat stuff and no one has told me to stop. So that's on y'all. Why would we? I mean, you've seen the stuff that you see the stuff I tweet about. That's fair. I don't, I don't have any cats. I have to live vicariously through everyone else's having cats. Or you could just get a cat. You should also get no! a cat. No! <laughs> just get a cat. Get a cat. <laughs> kitty, kitty cat. That said, Jackie, the, the, the only catless one on the call right now. The, the catless, catless one. Jackie. That, that needs to be a car, though. That needs to be a car. Jackie the catless. Jackie the catless. 
Florida resident level three. Uh, Jackie, where do you kind of sit in the Asian uh, the Asian person playing magic sort of thing? Man, kind of where do it was, it, it was long ago when Ice Age was a set. So this is like in the 90s. Um, and Yellow text so, starts scrolling. <laughs> you cannot see far away. Far, right? And I started playing then, and I will admit that like I was the only Asian kid in my in my elementary school. So like I was the only minor I was like the only Asian minority person there. And a bunch of other people started getting into magic and they got me and I got hooked into it. But and I had like maybe a couple cards. I didn't have like a deck yet. I think I really hit magic hardest was during the onslaught block. So that's like the two thousands. Uh, so the and I got and I was really into it around two thousand four. And then between two thousand and six through nine, I was pretty much what you would consider an, an uh, Magic the Gathering broker. Uh, I used to buy and sell Magic the Gathering cards and sell buy them, sell them. To other people, and uh, that was a I made a modest living out of it. Uh, paper at least of several of my textbooks, at least, um, and uh, which is which is helpful because you know I, I I'm in the United States. It's not like you know education's um, that affordable, um, and so uh, so I did that, and then I actually cold, I actually went cold turkey out of magic in between, around 2010, and I didn't come back until probably like sporadically I would buy stuff uh, right around the time of Magic Origins. Like when they finally also like when Michelle came back as came in as well. So like I, I would buy a few things once in a while when I'll be like, oh, okay, this is a nice little thing. I'll buy something for myself. And then and then I stopped again around 2017, 18. And then I now just started back with, with everyone else because of Michelle. <laughs> because of Michelle. Um, <laughs> what, have then, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? Um, and then Emma, what about you? <laughs> um, well, I started late last year. So <laughs> only like a few real months of being a magic player. And half jokingly, I'm going to say I was peer pressured into it by a bunch of Asian people. So. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't any particular set. I was just told that there are cards with squirrels. And so I went about trying to find all of them and to make a deck that was exclusively squirrels. Uh, you know, I found a bunch of them are super expensive. And uh, I, I'm still not sure I'm 100% on board with magic. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can always proxy. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're yeah. okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. There are still so many elements of every time we play, I'm just like, this game is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's always something where I'm like, nah, come on, man. Yeah, <laughs> no, please, no. Come on. <laughs> we yeah. are all very aware that we are buying into an extremely capitalist thing. A hundred percent. We are very keenly aware. But that's we are why, extremely yeah. aware. But that's why I think it's important look, look, to... Uh, I had to talk about the fact that I even inherited someone else's collection. So I have twice the amount of magic cards than I should have right. after this many years of buying and collecting cards. Damn. I have no defense. You know what? I actually, I actually remember when, Emma, you discovered all the squirrel cards. Yeah. Because we were in a call with our friend Mark, and he said, Daniel, I know you got back into match recently with a D&D stuff. He's like, I have a whole, I found a whole box of cards in my basement. He says, can you tell me about it? I'm like, I don't know. And I just pull up MTG Goldfish. 
And he's like, how much is this one worth? And, I'm, and I look it up and I'm like, oh, this is a beta. And our friend ended up basically discovering that he had $10,000 worth of, worth of Magic the Gathering cards. Yeah. Vintage the first Magic card he the pulled up, Daniel looked it up. It was like $350. And you're like, put it down. Put, put it, it down. down. And he's like, you're, he's drinking like a, you're drinking a pop right now. Put it down. And he had like snacks. And he was, I was like, good God. <laughs> that happens. Did you get that his happens. sleeves? Did you get it put in his sleeve? He, he ended up, we ended up pressuring him and just sleeving everything. And he bought like $400 worth of sleeves. Good. Good. <laughs> he, 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 it did not. It, he is a high paying job for the Canadian government. He's okay. Um, but yeah, protect those $10,000 cards. He had some really incredible stuff. And I, I remember it was that conversation where I was looking up the cards and then Emma kept being like, oh, look, there's a squirrel. And that's, the, I, feel, I feel like that's the moment. That's but my origin story. That's your yeah, origin there's story. There's also, I posted on Twitter the first time I got some cards. So that whole like, friends say you should play magic me it goes out and finds all the squirrels, squirrels. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know what i am the same way uh when i first started playing magic i was also going down the squirrel train so i was like i'm gonna build squirrel tribal mm-hmm. um yeah. which oh, or squirrel squirrel like species um trying mm-hmm. not to say tribal um it's an mtg so term went, though yeah it is it is it, but we it's need not to a great that. term yeah you can take it <laughs> to say i'm that. just making a squirrel deck i'm just making a squirrel deck and so i bought a hermit druid for i think maybe like seven dollars it's a foil when it was cheap and it it was available it was a foil japanese hermit drew that was printed and revised oh okay so it's affordable one so i i i um it was signed by kev walker and which is the art who is the artist for that card and i got it for real cheap and then now i was like how much i I asked a friend like how much do you think this would fetch i'm like she's like 40 400 dollars yeah like yeah. to the right collector 100 i'm like yep yep I, I i actually helped a friend uh sell two cards two cards to pay an entire month's rent jesus yeah well okay so the this reason why i wanted it this game's bullshit right there. Just put that in this, this game's bullshit um you, you know this isn't a sponsored stream when um that, that said the reason why i wanted to ask that question is because emma you do one thing that i think is really interesting and you don't just like collect squirrel cards. You collect like trading cards with representations of Jomon stuff and yeah. uh, like Dogu and things like that. Japanese uh, archaeology, yeah. Which I think is really cool. And you actually mm-hmm. you have like a document that you've shared on your Twitter a couple of times of like you're like, this is Jomon stuff in pop culture. Just um, one artifact only. That's what I've documented. Yeah, just the Dogu, it's the figure. I have like 270 examples now, FYI. <laughs> It's super cool, but <laughs> yeah. So, but so cool. I think that like these games are very real to people, right? It's not like we have these like sort of like parasocial relationships with them, but it's that these are representations of real cultures. We see ourselves represented in these games. That's why our reaction to the Killian sort of narrative was so visceral, because that is very much a relatable Asian American story that they were trying to tell in the most unnuanced way. So that's why these conversations are important. Um, now, I think the best place to start um, is actually like, what is this set and what are they trying to tell? I know like in our chat, Jackie and Michelle, we kind of talked about how YouTube would kind of leave this like, what is this set? And like, 
five to 10 minutes, like what are they trying to achieve here? Like for me, um, I'll take care of that thing in the, in the chat. But like for, for me, it's just like when I'm looking at this set and when I was watching the world building episode, I thought it was interesting that they said, you know what? We just want to make a futuristic Japanese inspired world. And then it became Kamigawa. And then they ended up having to take this legacy and update it. But what is the story here? Because there is a story and the story very much factors in into the positive changes that they are trying to make. So that's why I think it's important for us to talk about that. Uh, and I know, Jackie, you've looked into all the lore stuff. And I know, Michelle, you love the magic lore. And, mm -hmm. and I just know nothing about it. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. do you, Michelle, do you want me to cover the past and how it trans and how it transfers into the future? And you can cover sure, the current story? Sure, I can cover the current story. All right, so sure. I'll cover the past. So in the past, so, 12, so the, the first Kamigawa block, um, basically what happened was, so the world of Kamigawa was actually originally divided into two to begin with. So the spirits and the mortal realm were two separate places, uh, but they were still part of the same world. And eventually what happened was that uh, the time rifts that occurred in th this part of the Magic the Gathering, the Magic the Gathering storyline called Time Rifts or the Time Spiral Crisis um, happened. And it caused basically the, the barriers between the two realms to basically bleed through and get weakened. And uh, an imperial, and the emperor of Kamigawa, uh, Honda, decided to... Is it Kanda or Kanda? It's Kanda. Kanda, thank you. Mm -hmm. It's been a while. Um, so Kanda... I'm snatching a car. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Honda? Like Street Fighter? I have to, car, it was a like, car, it's like, a, imperial It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. like yes. Look, look, that's going to happen eventually. <laughs> if it helps, it's Kanda. 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 Yeah. Kanda. So, so, so what happened is the emperor ends up stealing an aspect of the 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 they're basically the the kami of all kamis and uh this caught this upsets the balance and all the kamis basically get angry and bleed into the world and a full-out war uh ensues and the major story plot, plot threads from the novelizations and everything else basically ties into figuring out what why are the kami uh so angry and upset and why and what they could do to to kind of heal it and after and through the whole entire process they eventually will the hero the the, the central narrative figures figured out that the there's the literal embodiment of of all the spirits basically being trapped and they have to break it and then release the spirit and that's how you get kodai interesting so yeah there's and, this sort of antagonistic relationship between sort of spirits and humanity yeah it's very nausicaa it's very nausicaa's and princess mononoke kind of vibe in that regard because it's like the spirits are disturbed and by by mankind and therefore they now rebel they get they, they get upset and they target mankind it has a whole and it affects every like everyone else in kamigawa so like um and the, the long story short for that is that when they finally resolve it, they the, they they want to achieve balance, and so they try and the, and the planes begin to slowly begin to merge, and then across that twelve hundred years, the planes merge closer and closer together, and more spirits begin to take come uh, live with the mortals and interact with the mortals, and uh, the, the in between phase of those twelve hundred years, basically according to the lore, uh, 
they get to go through a warring states period. <laughs> okay. There's a, there, there was a, there's that little sweat beat of just like, of course there is. And then, and then they go through a, according to the lore, they also have this section called the age of enlightenment, which I was like, of course they did. Think about that one. Thing. And then they had a modern age, which of course they did. And, uh, so basically, through that entire time period, uh, through mod- they mo- basically Kamigawa modernizes. They go through an industrial revolution, and then they also, uh, they they the spirits and the and the more uh, basically in order to maintain the good faith of the spirits, uh, the imperials, uh, the imperialists, uh, basically monitor, moderate, and regulate uh, the entry points of when the where the spirit world and the mortal world kind of connect. And and also they that also uh, opened up a lot of magic and and then the, there was a boom of technology that occurred and that's how they kind of justified how most of that led into it and those two elements the imperialists regulating the balance of the world and the these futurists um, trying to push the boundaries of what you can do uh, are the initial starting conflict of Neon, that lead into Neon Dynasty across the twelve hundred years. Yeah, and then Michelle, you you've kind of done a lot of like looking at like what it, it currently is standing at right now. Yeah, so um, taking picking up where Jackie left off, so we're now in quote unquote present day Kamigawa, which is supposed to be hand uh, supposed to be the events of this are supposed to be um, concurrent with essentially everything that's been happening with other planes of magic lore. So in Estrad with Crimson ah, Bow, it's supposed to be contemporary with that. Um, so the um so basically what's happened is that we are focused on aganjo uh which is the capital city of uh it's basically supposed to be modern day tokyo in a lot of sense and and in a lot of ways and is taking a lot of inspiration from that um the emperor is missing the emperor has not been there for a very long time and there is a new planeswalker kaito who is a the new ninja planeswalker and is trying to find her across various different uh, planes of existence and is trying to figure out what happened. Um, the, so Kaito and his sister um, are both representative uh, representations of sort of the color pie argument philosophy that we see within um, the story. His sister is supposed to be much more of a traditionalist. Um, he is much more of a futurist. And so he, readily adapts technology and to kind of piggyback off again off of what Jackie said, we're seeing a much more um, spirited away, a studio Ghibli kind of um, in the sense of like, yeah, spirited away or uh, maybe Totoro kind of influence here uh, where the Kami are just parts of everyday life for us uh, within this plane. Like we have mundane, more mundane Kami uh, just kind of hanging out, uh, which is definitely much more contemporaneous of what with Shinto beliefs. Um, which is nice. And so, um, yeah, he, his actual Tanuki friend is a Kami that has chosen to inhabit a little like Tanuki origami like machine, which is kind of adorable. (laughs) And Pon Pon Chan. Um, and so when, when he was friends with the emperor, when he's very young, he saw her disappear when this guy with a metal arm showed up and in Magic the Gathering, we all know what that means. It means Tezzeret's back. So, oh, Tezzeret. <laughs> so Tezzeret, the like least effective baddie in all the multiverse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And what's really bad is that Kyodai, who is the, um, the Kami representative of the plane, is supposed to be like spiritually linked with the emperor to maintain that balance. And so um, 
she left he's like you you must have something to do with it so he's been tracking around Tezzeret for a while it's years later Tezzeret does show back up and so he's like who this metal man though and in his search to figure out who Tezzeret is he comes across Tamio who is a moon folk um she's known as a sage she's definitely the science mom she has kids she lives in Otawara which is a um like sky um basically city uh, for all the rabbit moon folk uh very cute and so she helps him discover what shenanigans are going on and when he discovers tezzeret uh he discovers that there's a whole bunch of like experiments being um put upon the kami like kidnapped kami and then he meets like the most radical best pants wearing person in the multiverse best pants wearing taxes it's true Jin Kitax's best pants in the multiverse will fight. Um, who, it's true, though. Who is an, a really scary presence? This relates back to the Geiger um, horror um, plane of New Phyrexia, uh, which is a plane that basically is seeking to complete with an A everyone by turning them into machines and robots uh, to cyborgs. And that's why that complete is a mechanic in this. Yes, that's why we see complete uh, with with the Tamio um, planeswalker. Yeah. Uh, spoilers. But we're so, going to talk about that. That just sounds like Doctor Robotnik. Yes, he is. Yeah, pretty much. Mister Doctor Robotnik. It, it, it's like the Borg, but it's the Borg, but more sinister. See, this is why. This is why yeah, Emma's Dr. here to kind of. <laughs> this is why Emma's yeah. here to, to and, balance and, everything out. And, and it's funny because Jin Kitaxis in the story sounds exactly like Ben Shapiro. But anyway, oh god, that's that, very true. It's that, very true. Okay. Besides that, so um, he, uh, they're about to try to fight him. Then this mysterious figure comes in, and we have seen the Wanderer before. Um, she showed up in War of the Spark, and we were like, who is this mysterious person? It must be Emrakul. No, turns out that is the nope. Emperor, <laughs> the lost Emperor of, course. of Kamigawa. She comes back. She saves her butt. They're like, "What's what's going on with the Jinka taxes, etc." We've got to make we've got to make a stop to this. And in the meanwhile, like um, there's this other rebellion happening with the Red Line factions that are trying to get into the city and topple the emperor. So uh, while that's happening, um, Kaito and Tamio go back to try to like handle Jinka taxes. It kind it's a bittersweet ending. They stop whatever is happening on the plane, but Tamio gets pulled into New Phyrexia and she becomes the first completed complete uh Phyrexianized planeswalker, which was devastating. I had to like I when I found out, I had to like not talk to anyone for an hour. <laughs> it was just um, like, I, I remember it was, where I was when I read that. I, I basically walk, got up and I had to step outside yeah. of my house even. And I was just like yeah. In Here the magic are. lore universe, it's like, where were you when you found that? And it's great because it's really hard to get those out of these little things. Yeah, it's <laughs> and so um, yeah, and then as it turns out, the reason why um, the emperor has been back is because her spark is like weirdly not stabilized, so she has to hop from plane to plane to plane. She cannot stay in one place, and so uh, the reality chip they tried to use that to stabilize her for a while. It managed to do it for a little bit. But then it got broken, so now she's continuing her journeys. Kaito is continuing to try to track her down. Um, and that's where we are. We have an encroaching Phyrexian threat. We saw Vorinclex last year um, basically doing his own Vorinclex thing on Call Time, which mostly consisted of like 
I don't know, Kool-Aid manning it through like the forest. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much Kool-Aid man, um, but scarier with teeth and um yeah, and you no just pants. don't no pants. No, no pants, pants at all. I'm, I'm no just pants. like there is so much lore there, and I mean what one of the conclusions we came to when it came to the like the Strixhaven con- controversy uh-huh. was that like it is very difficult to communicate all of this to mm-hmm. a massive audience who's who's like, oh, pretty art, or this one does math well. Um, <laughs> like, it is, it's really hard to communicate that, and you have to really be deeply embedded into reading the fiction. I mean, how many Kamigawa novels were there? Because Three. that's something they, the three. three novels, they talked about that a lot during a lot of the, you know, the prelude to the release. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I think, like, that's, it's an interesting story. Right, and I yeah. know people buy into it for that. People really like that story because there's the, that's a whole other side of magic. There are folks who are like me, and it's like I like putting cards together and stacking them to a hundred so I can play them. Um, and then there are people who like to do that, like to collect, and like to see how the lore interacts with, you know, the mechanics, the art, and everything like that. And I think that that's what makes magic interesting, right? Like the reason why I have a goblin deck is because my partner was like. Daniel, is there a card called Goblin Trash Master? And I was like, yeah. She's like, can you get that for me? And I was like, I guess I'll build a deck. Peter, can you help me? Um, that's how it started. Uh, but I think one of the things that, you know, I've been thinking about a lot with, you know, the story and everything is that one of the responses we got to the Killian thing was that, oh, read the fiction. Same thing with Legend of the Five Rings. Oh, read the fiction. It's there. It contextualizes these things that you kind of have a problem with. Um, but I think with this set, you know, thinking about the conversations that we've had as like the four of us independently or even just like one offs about magic, I think there are a couple of things that we should really talk about. And Emma, in your in the document that you send in the notes document you sent all of us, I think you really outline at least all of the points that I'm feeling. You have a section in there where you said why I am tired. Um, yeah i forgot i I labeled it that (laughs) and honestly i think i think that's first of all i mean that's on brand for you but what i'd love to really i am perpetually tired yeah for for the next hour is kind of focus on these things right we've kind of set the stage this is why you know we really we enjoy magic you know this is why it's special to us um and because it's special to us for various reasons one i I can make squirrels or other like hey this is my community or i really enjoy the story this is why we want it to improve so, Emma, I'd love to talk about this first point that you put under the why I am tired category of your notes. Um, sure. I'd, I'd love for you to kind of contextualize that because I don't want to just read your notes when you're right here. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, I've been fighting with this, like there's a lot of positivity out there around Kamigawa. There are little things where it's just like, oh, I I don't like that. But I've been trying to figure out why it is. I've just, I don't know. If everyone's like, are you excited about this? Or they've done a good job with some of the development and the consultation. Like, does that make it good? And for me, it's just like, I kind of got to recognize the stuff that's within me and my experiences that just make me not, I'm not that jazzed. Just like straight up. And that's not really necessarily the fault of any one thing or any one person within this larger thing that is Kamigawa. 
it's uh for me and i think i said this in the first episode of l5r i'm just tired of samurai ninja organized crime and cyberpunk as being the go-tos for japan and like you said you recorded me quoting this yeah your your exact your exact i didn't record it but your exact thing i wrote it down you said doing crimes and fighting wars let's just like every time we see someone who's japanese or even asian in general it's just like yeah they're they're out there doing crimes or fighting a war so in general i'm just tired of that and cyberpunk in particular making it futuristic yes cyberpunk is quite deep at this point but i can't ignore the origins of some of these things or some of the connotations behind a contrasting tradition with future and futurism. So the hyper-traditional contrasted with the hyper-technological, which is an aspect of cyberpunk, but also like two big tropes about Japan that developed at different times. So the hyper-traditionalism is something we get out of World War II, where it's like emperor worship, sticking to all of this stuff like institutional buddhism and shinto and like some of that concept of japan doesn't change they're stuck in their ways and have weird beliefs contrasting that with the 1980s like japan's this techno center this big weird like we don't understand it but they're so advanced like those two ideas um are just two big tropes and they often go together and cyberpunk smashes them together for sure. And like, it's, for me, it doesn't matter how far they've come or what's been done with it. I can't dissociate some of those origins and those connotations all the time. Uh, and this is something that if you're doing consultation, like you got to kind of keep track of it. And then you start seeing little bits and pieces here and there that reinforce it so if someone like me is just like oh some of this stuff makes me uncomfortable as soon as you say one little thing that reinforces it i'm just like "Mm." (laughs) i got you there yeah i'm done and it's not even i got you or not 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 your moment but it's like this confirms how i'm feeling you just you just kind of yeah confirmed it a little for me and yeah i think that's most of what was in my yeah, that was like that your I first made. point. And I mean, like when you're talking about, I don't think they've gone and, ex- and Michelle and Jackie, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think they've gone and said, this is explicitly cyberpunk. But what they have done is they said, here's, and I was watching the world building video prior to this, just to make sure it was fresh. And they said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. This is how we're going to contrast the traditional and the technological. We're going to have uh, traditional architectural elements, and then we're going to strap neon on everything to make it sci-fi. That's, that's what, that's what the you know the that's what the lead said that's what emily tang said we're gonna just put neon on it um and i mean that's how i've kind of felt too it's this really weird dichotomy that they want to lean on between the traditional and like this hyper techno thing that you've mentioned emma but Um, just just to answer your question earlier um it is referred directly as cyberpunk Okay. Um, yeah. Well, it is. Article. Yeah. And so yeah. here's the th- here's the thing then as well. Like I was talking about like cyberpunk with with a good pal, and they were just like, cyberpunk isn't even punk anymore. This is just an aesthetic. The themes that they're kind of trying to touch on in the cards and stuff. This is first of all Western cyberpunk, which is an aesthetic. It's neon. It's 
high tech mixed with this sort of tradition. But if you look at Western cyberpunk and you compare it to sort of like Asian cyberpunk, they are very different things. Right? They, they explore very different themes. Um, and we don't see this here. Western cyberpunk is also rooted in yellow peril, like Emma, you alluded mm-hmm. to. It's deeply rooted oh, in yeah. yellow peril. And so uh, yeah. this of isn't a- 1980s this, and 90s. Yeah. Like, this is Blade Runner. This is Blade Runner. Yeah. This is, and, but this yeah. is why mm-hmm. the neon lights are supposed to evoke fear. Right? They are supposed to cause fear because you are supposed to be fearful of persistent advertising because of, like, of the Reagan era. Right, People were scared of that. You're supposed to be scared of the neon lights. You're supposed to be scared of constantly be bom- being bombarded with messaging, right? The, the corporations and all that. But now it's just like we'll put neon on it because that is a signifier of this cyberpunk aesthetic. But – more in line with what Emma was saying, this is a signifier of this like hyper technological Japan. Right? And the like the loss of humanity. So like mm-hmm. also with the within cyberpunk is that battle between what is human and what is not. Like a huge theme in a lot of Japanese media. Like that's what Astro Boy is all about, like what makes us human. Mm-hmm. But you pair that idea of Asian people not being from from here quote unquote and also not being quite human being emotionally repressed and you combine that with scary industry and big corporations faceless things that are slowly taking over because they have money and power and you can't find who's in charge like these were some of the themes of the original cyberpunk stuff from western creators and yeah like i like i said i can't completely throw that out the window you give me cyberpunk stuff whether it's true cyberpunk or theme and i'm gonna be like what are, what are we doing here like what what <laughs> why yeah yeah i guess the one of the questions i wanted to sort of raise with it all is did this need to be a cyberpunk set no like do no. we and if not did like, it need to what, be kamigawa did no. it need to be coming? Well, that's a, that's another question. That's a different question. I feel like that's a question where the answer is there are multiple stakeholders at place here, and yeah. Kamigawa is the natural yeah, product that. fit. Um, but, but the first I, question, yes. Uh, but the first question is like, if not, what would be uh, what would be appropriate? What does um, in a Japanese super ultra modern technology aesthetic look like? If not cyberpunk. Um, not, I'm not, and to be clear, I'm not asking this question because I, I don't, I don't want to be like, oh, if not this, blah, 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 but it's just like, I'm curious, you know, cause I, I have seen a lot of like Japanese, um, modern technological developments in let's say robotics and yeah, you can always kind of tell if it is a Japanese design because there's a certain aesthetic. And that was not something I really saw in, you know, I keep calling it Neon Genesis comic <laughs> I heard. I, I heard. I, I mean, I heard, look. I heard. In my mind, I heard what it's written in Japanese. It's called Shining World. Yeah, that's what. That's okay. literally yeah. what the what the characters say. It doesn't even say. Yeah, Shining. It could be. It'd be Shining called World. Shining World. Shining World. Yeah. Um, Just drop Dynasty. I think I've said this. Before. Why Dynasty? Why? Doesn't really like, have dynasties. They technically have one dynasty because it's an unbroken line, but like nobody calls it a dynasty. Dynasty is like so mainland China. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That's, I, I was like, like, I first saw that and I was like, 
I I don't know how how offended I should be. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Emma, I don't know if you had an answer to that or or if you if there, that's just a question we that should just exist as rhetorically like like what does Japanese cyberpunk look like? Yeah, like what if it, what what do we even want to go to cyberpunk? Like what would be a really to kind of follow on David's idea of like Daniel Daniel? I'm so sorry. What wow. did you right there? I'm so sorry. <laughs> It was. I'm gonna leave now. I'm so <laughs> I, I thought we were. I thought we were friends. Yeah. Here's the thing. Like, I'll just start answering that question while you're. Yeah, go ahead. Like, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah. I. I'm I not a huge sure. cyberpunk consumer in general, so I'm probably not the best person to be like. Here are some franchises to check out, but also like. For a lot of it, for me, like, it's just like, kind of dystopian future stuff in. Japanese franchises could be taken as cyberpunk but there's a very different relationship and perspective on technologies and especially integrated technologies and robotics and AI in Japan and part of that has to do with how robotics and AI have been depicted in like children's media and media in general where in the west like robots and all of that were always like an enemy or some inhuman problem to deal with but like a lot of people in Japan, I already brought up Astro Boy. A lot of people in Japan grew up with very human robots and AI and technology that actually make people look less human because they're more altruistic. They are the better of us. And yeah, like in Astro Boy, like people look about looking real bad a lot of the time. Yeah. And yeah. Astro Boy's yeah. just there's this very I, Yeah. Uh, I just, innocent and helpful individual yeah i um something that also strikes me is like something that um a product that came out a few years back that i felt was very quintessentially japanese in perspective was paro the um i don't know if you've heard of paro but it is a um a robot that is specially designed to help the mental health of elderly folks within nursing homes. Um, it's a, it's a big robot that looks like a big baby harp seal. Yeah, the, the <laughs> seals. The seals. Yeah. And so they're warm and they respond to your voice and they will blink at you and interact with you. And I just sort of thought, I got to hold one once. It was just so pretty. They're cute. Um, but it, it really... Yeah. yeah, I just sort of thought that was a very uniquely japanese like way to create a robot i suppose a very that's a very uniquely japanese perspective and that wasn't really something i saw in kamigawa so much um but then again i mean yeah yeah these but then again well you did see the travel robot but that's not really the same thing this one just feels a lot more pato just feels more intimate uh but again like magic sets also tend to be fairly combative in theme because that's what the game is so yeah that's yeah. And that's also where it's like okay i understand that okay here's the thing i could be tired of it but also understand that people like samurai and ninja and cyberpunk and organized crime and also this is a great thing to use in like conflict situations and ongoing battles but it doesn't make me less tired of it or of like they also Here's the thing. They didn't need to be samurai. We are in 2022 and the number of people who consider themselves samurai is very small if next to none. So why in this futuristic setting do we have people who are just like, yo, I'm a samurai. Same with the ninja. Or I'm a ninja. ninja. Like, 
you can still have these people that do similar things, but you can you could drop the names. Yeah, like it was already <laughs> I mean it was yeah. already there within the set. Like um in the red white um well so for the red white uh samurai um slash warrior um aggro uh aggro like mm-hmm. theme within limited it says specifically samurai or warrior so yeah. why have samurai you can just drop it and have it be warrior just i mean warrior it's, the sa- it's the same thing about D, yeah. right it, here, yeah. here's here's like my thing like first of all to answer your question michelle i mm-hmm. don't think that this should be cyberpunk because it is mm-hmm. very clear that cyberpunk i mean what they are trying to present as cyberpunk is not cyberpunk it's not punk like as our our friend that we that we know will say this isn't punk, um, it's not cyberpunk, and it really just leans uses cyberpunk as an aesthetic. But then when you look at the cards, for me, I see this this weird divide. Right, they're trying to tell the story about you know Kami and humanity kind of coming together, but then they're like, then here's the Gundams, like here's the Mecha, and then here's the Ninja, and then here's the Samurai, right? Oh, and it's then like, there's some yeah. and then there's some neon lights to tie everything together. And for me, it's like, it's very much used and as, as an aesthetic. And I think that perpetuates the problem of Western, Western sort of like cyberpunk, right? It fails to acknowledge its racist, let's be honest, its racist roots, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it basically reinforces, yeah, this is just an aesthetic to communicate Asian-ness. And they have said that, right? Now, for, for me, the, my problem is that they will always say, this is Japanese inspired. Everything is like, this is Japanese inspired, but we're going to make up a fake language, but we're going to use real Japanese words. We're going to use samurai, right? Um, like, pick a lane. That's kind of how I feel about this set. And you could tell that they're trying not to say it's Japanese because they don't want people to draw direct comparisons. But if you're taking aspects of Japanese culture, and this is something that, like, Emma, I know, like, you and I have talked about at length. If you are literally using signifiers of Japanese culture, like the sun, like the samurai, like the katana, like, I don't, I don't, like, like, kami is an actual, it's a word and it's a part of contemporary Japanese culture, right? You are not making something that's Japanese inspired. You're invoking Japan. You are. You are. You are trying to yeah. make a fantasy Japan, not a, a not a Japanese inspired thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's Japan. Like yeah. the a lot of the um, like the sagas and whatnot. One of the things I did love was the feature of um, was featuring traditional Japanese crafts. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, the yosegi, um, like a veneer work that we see Hakone yosegi veneer work that we see in that stuff is wild. Osei-shu. It's yeah. <laughs> beautiful and like the it's like you wouldn't you wouldn't refer like why would you reference that directly if you weren't trying to make it directly japanese right um it's like a deep cut it's a deep japanese cultural craft cut uh so Mm -hmm. and they're using and here's the thing they make may they made up like like a fake language to put in the art and everything but then on the under beautiful first of all i will say beautiful lands for this set the art is incredible. the art is all top notch the top art, notch. No, art. The set is no complaints like no complaints i am going to go to the, <laughs> oh, the art I, I will be going to my local store this weekend and i will say take this There's cash a new and give me all that dropped 
there's a new secret layer they dropped with the some of the callbacks to old Kamigawa. They did it in the same. I don't style. care about the old Kamigawa. I want the new lands. No, no, they, but they like really good stuff. Well, they, well, they did. They dropped some new lands. Um, yeah. well, some of the lands, but in the in the ukiyo-e style, and it's just like I take that back. I yeah. want those. Um, yeah, no. But here's, here's, what, I mean. here's what I'm saying. Like they're using a real language. They're using a real language there, right? Um, and that's the kind of tension that I see there because as we know as and I'm going to pull up the quote because I, I I listened to the entire thing and I wrote out everything word for word Emily Tang the world building design lean says we weren't going into it with the idea that it would be Kamigawa we just yeah. went in thinking hey we want to make a futuristic Japanese inspired world this time we didn't decide it was going to be Kamigawa until halfway through vision that stage of the process and this yeah. is where I think this sort of this awkwardness comes in, right? They're like, yeah. we're going to make this thing that's Japan, right? We want to make Japan or Japanese-inspired thing, right? But then, uh, I realize I'm also out of focus. There we go. And then we decide, well, we want to align it with the rest of the product, which, again, I think we're all aligned on. We, we would have preferred if it didn't happen, but it makes total sense. I know why they did it, but like, yeah, yeah, Kamigawa wasn't worth saving. It, like, exactly. <laughs> but uh... again, there are fans, and people want to see that. It's like same thing with Rokugan, right? Um, yes. But oh, I, oh god. Um, but when you take this this pre-made thing that has this really weird history of let's be honest, fetishizing a Western perspective of Japan. Mm-hmm. And merging with this new idea that you have, yeah. you ultimately get something that's like a step down from what you originally intended. And then that's what I think we see here, right? Like, Emma, you, you bring this up a lot, and rightfully so, like Ruth Benedict, like Chrysanthemum oh, and yeah. the Sword, right? The, the land of contradictions, right? Yeah. So, Ruth Benedict. Cool individual. Look into her. She's kind of rad. But like <laughs> the work that she did was with the American government studying Japanese culture through radio programs and newspapers in in the 40s, trying to help the military figure out how to better deal with and invade Japan. So like that's the context of her chrysanthemum and the sword. And she it's straight up in the intro- introduction, like this research was done this way. No Japanese people were spoken to. Good start, you know. But she came from a tradition in anthropology of cultural patterns. And so looking for broad, big sweeping patterns to help characterize a group of people in their society. And what she ended up saying is something that continues to this day is that Japan just seems contradictory. Like that's why like a nice, beautiful flower and like a, a sword. sword, like chrysanthemum of the sword. And so we get that with the tradition versus the hypermodern. And that's partly why this the the real leaning into historical aspects of Japan, particularly Sengoku and Tokugawa, and jamming that into a very futuristic setting will always kind of bother me. It's just like, here's this hyper futuristic world, but everyone's running around in samurai armor with katana. Like people don't do that now like yeah people don't do that now. i think yep. in some ways they were trying to capture sort of the the feel of like a modern japan 
like modern Japan, like say in Kyoto or Tokyo, like if you have, mm-hmm. you know, we we see shrines everywhere, right? Yeah. You, I mean, we could we could talk about what like modernity means because if we're yeah, just, but, like, but it's not, means. but it's or what exactly. tradition means, but it's not the same. Like we, yeah, like you said, we don't run around like I went to Tokyo. No one went around with katanas. Yeah, no one went around with no. tachi. And if they are, they're at uh, um, like historical sites and they're tour guides yeah, and they're, they're there to take to, photos like, with. Yeah, and also yeah this, exactly. Like, practice like, exactly, yeah, you know, right. and it, it doesn't yeah. matter if you. It doesn't matter what weapon they're carrying. That's just not the reality of if yeah. they put if they put guns in here. Okay, I was surprised <laughs> that he didn't. Oh, I mean, yeah. guns are kind of off limits the- in Magic: The Gathering in general. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Then, yeah. then see that's why we have you here. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So he here's the. Th- I forgot about that. And I think this relates to this idea of like outside and inside the the the, the emic and the edic right emma oh. you put this in your notes this is if yeah, you're not I did a little if, anthro lesson it was like if you if you don't have a degree in anthropology or took a first year anthropology course we're going to talk about this now um I, I will say like before we dive into it for folks who are just catching up or really want like a summary i think it's really important right the the point we're trying to make before we move on to this inside and outside this idea of perspective because this is something that we're going to talk about a lot here is that this set leans really heavily as you said Emma on these sort of competing tropes right the super traditional and the hyper technological without acknowledging where these tropes came from in the first place and why they're problematic the use of cyberpunk here is also problematic in its own right because, well, it is drawing on an aesthetic that has roots in the yellow peril. Um, now, um, I want to talk a little bit about this perspective thing. In that world building thing, Mendez, friend of the podcast, made a point that said, okay, um, he said, there is a difference between the lies that we tell ourselves and the lies that we tell about other people, both Kamiga- with Kamigawa, we wanted to focus not on the Western gaze attitude, not the lies told by outsiders, but the lies told by the culture itself. I think that's a great line. It is, yeah. I think it's and a great it's line. And it's a very, good, like, I love that that's happening. It's a very noble thing to strive toward. And I like that that was in place. But as from an anthropological background, the ongoing question is, is that even possible? Particularly when the majority of your market is North American and you're trying to use references that they will get and latch onto. Like, can, like, how successful can you be? That's not a, how well did they do? This is a larger question of, how's, how's that going to go? <laughs> yeah, yeah well, how, is, how is that possible? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, it's and really it's, difficult. It, and it's really, you know, like, I think this is a question about perspective. Like you said, Emma, like, I think it's a a noble thing to try to strive for. It's a cool thing to say on like that video to kind of tell people what your intentions are, but it becomes very difficult when the fundamental concept is rooted in Western perspective. And that's where it becomes really important to not only have cultural consultants, but also have Japanese creators heavily invest in the decision-making parts of the design process. 
I keep sending all of my friends this article about how they made the global series deck. Yeah. Um, I keep sending it to people. Like three times. Yeah. (laughs) In different ways. So it's a great example. It's a great example of intent in Magic the Gathering. Now they in this article, I'll link it in the in the show notes, they basically identify three problems in the last time they tried to represent Chinese stories in Magic the Gathering. The first one was Portal Three Kingdoms. Right? So when they're talking about Portal Three Kingdoms, they said the first mistake was that it's not canon, right? It's because it's not canon, this has a fundamental problem on people latching onto it and using those cards and playing them. The second thing was like literally the the model in which they sold it, that portal model, right? It was basically designed to teach people magic and get people into magic. So the cards were underpowered. It was it's a weak set. It's a weak set. Mm-hmm. Like with I some notable exceptions. With, but yes. with some exceptions. Yeah, like, <laughs> like I have still seal. kind of busted. Yeah. <laughs> so like I have Imperial Seal. Mm. I have been <laughs> trying to collect some of the Portal Three Kingdoms cards. They are expensive. Um, also horsemanship. Horsemanship, yes. like I said, yeah, horsemanship so, was is busted. So <laughs> I have yeah, put put whatever you want, put it on a horse. The, the crowning jewel. Of, no, one can, no one can block it now because nothing yeah. else is horsemanship. Nothing has horsemanship. Yeah, exactly. And then, <laughs> that like, horse. The, the yeah. crowning jewel of my collection is, is this. This is an yep. original Sailor and Horsemanship yep. equals this game yep. is bullshit. Absolutely. I yeah. <laughs> I feel like we should just make a we should just make a shirt and it's just this game is bullshit. This That's game is bullshit. That, I'll just yeah, get a little. I'll get a custom card and I'll just slap that down on spell table every time I think something is bullshit. <laughs> I also want like one of those like no samurai, no ninjas, no, no cyberpunk, but yeah. doesn't yeah. like that something no, and no. something and something and two crabs wait for us. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like, okay. here's the thing with like Portal is like not everything was really good because it wasn't designed to be competitive right. or good, right? right. And right. then the last one is like because of that, like they weren't legal to play. So nope, because it's a corset. Portal it's course, and, it ha- and it had yeah. zero impact. So mm-hmm. when they did the global series, that dual deck, they actually said, okay, we are going to do this right. And we are going to, I won't say right. We are going to do this better. For them, they said, okay, we want, and this is quotes Watsi blog. They said, we wanted something that was traditionally Chinese and made sense in that world, but wasn't as prescriptive as Portal Three Kingdoms. Instead of retelling a story, we wanted to do what we do well with our top-down, flavorful worlds of magic. Find inspiration and then make a new world with it. Right? Flavorful. So Flavorful. So what I thought was mm. interesting about this is that not only did they do some really, really deep cuts on Chinese literature, they got a lot of inspiration, if you look at the cards, out of a really important book called The Classics of Mountains and Seas, the Shanghai Jing. It is basically mm-hmm. a historical Chinese monster manual. Um, yes. It is a, it's it is really, really cool. great. It is it's really, really cool. cool. Everyone, anyone who wants to do Chinese D&D, just get yourself, you could easily get an English translated copy of the Shanghai Jing. Not all translations are great, but <laughs> yeah. the information in them is fantastic. There's some really wild monsters in there. Yes. Um, yes. Really wild stuff. Um, but in their approach to this, they said, one of the first things we decided was that we need to work closely with our Chinese teams and partners to help this succeed. So the, uh, David pay, who is a senior brand manager on the Chinese team 
was basically central to this process. So they had the Chinese team and some people from the North American team working together to make this like a, you know, a final product. Um, now, that said, they had a huge Chinese influence on the design of this. When you look at those cards, they are absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. They may not be powerful. There's some good stuff in there. But from like a narrative perspective, from the art, from the themes, from the aspects of my culture that they are trying to evoke, like it's a success to me. And that is the standard to which I'm holding Neon Dynasty. That's what I want to see. And, and that like, is, that's a big deal. Like you're happy as a Quan. Like I'm ha fucking happy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and like, and I don't say this as just like, I'm a Chinese American. Like I say this as like, I'm a, like, a really American Daniel. Yeah, you're not an American, American person. Daniel. <laughs> I'm really tired. Wait, what? I'm really tired. Sorry. Yeah, dual citizenship. Dual No, I'm not American. God, no. I'm sorry. No, I, I was gonna say if you are. I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, no. I'll, I'll say this as like a like a like a like a CBC North American Chinese person. Like I'm a like Canadian-born Chinese. For those who don't know, we don't do ABC, but CBC. Um, also aligns with Canadian our media. Broadcasting Corporation. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. The American Broadcasting Corporation. But, but as somebody who's like personally, like familiarly, but also like academically very invested in this stuff, that's the kind of thing I want to see. I want to see how they approach the global series. I want them to be self-reflective of their mistakes and then take action on that. I feel like Neon Dynasty is like halfway there. I think they were mm -hmm. correct in acknowledging that, yeah, we did these things wrong with the original Kamigawa sets. I think they were correct in identifying things that were problematic and trying to undo them. I think they did really well with a lot of the process and now with talking about the process that they put into development. Like, I'm not, despite the sound of me, I'm not mad about everything, but... Yeah. <laughs> This is just bullshit. I, this game is like bullshit. I gotta say yeah. that there are still like fundamental things about Kamigawa that bothered me that then carry over, and there there are certain things that on a personal level will just they, they can't really win with. But also, not everyone's going to feel the same as me. Yeah, I I mean, on a personal level, like I think this is a really good time to bring up uh the card okay let's bring up the card and i actually bring up the card. Yeah, let's bring up two cards bring up two cards i think yeah. we're gonna bring up two cards because i no. i kind of i i talked about this um yeah. oh i totally messed up the overlay so i'll have to fix it while i while i fix this carry on the conversation i'm gonna yeah. fix this mm -hmm. um oh, oh but i was about to say like i i i think it's just i I love how they, well, not really love. I like how they try to fix things internally, like lore-wise, uh, mm -hmm. with the appearance of things. Like, for example, one of the things that always bothered me was the Orochi being, like, weirdly over-sexualized. Particularly yeah. the the female, like, coded one being, like, big-breasted, boobily, yeah. boobily-breasting ninja yeah. those reptiles you know they you know, need all those right. mammary glands <laughs> really got, got those mammary glands and uh, yeah okay and um they also had like legs and stuff and it was just like this is weird like this is not actually traditional so one of the things that they uh did within the um lore of the world was uh they actually had the orochi lose a pair of limbs um in order to like in a deal with like the kami and like to to sort of appease and like 
keep relations with them so that way they can live in the forest. They continue living in Jukai Forest. Uh, but they also got rid of their boobs, apparently, because there ain't yeah. there ain't a single booby snake boob. No <laughs> snake <laughs> boobs. No, no snake no, boobs. No, in no, snake boobs. No, <laughs> no snake right. boobs. So things we yeah. don't need in the world. Snake I boobs. don't know, but you know there's like someone out there who's just doing like, where are my snake boobs? But I I did like the use of internal diagenic storytelling to explain non-diagenic decisions. Mm. I thought that was mm-hmm. um rather a smart clever idea to try to fix and justify like how we how they self-corrected on some of these things yeah which was good so i mostly uh, just like no snake boobs i messed messed up the overlay we won't be able to to kind of show it i'll i'll put it in the the video i guess um afterwards um this is what happens when you work eight and a half hours straight before the stream um, you can just drop a link to the card i'll drop a link uh in into the chat if uh if somebody can drop a link but i think um, the, the two things that we wanted to talk about were, um, there were two cards in the set, um, that kind of drew initial controversy, um, at least in, in the circles that, you know, that we kind of go in. The first one is obviously Ishan, and actually it, it works out that both Michelle and I got those cards in the packs we opened. Um, I, I think one thing, I mean, why don't we talk about Ishan? and if, uh, somebody's in the chat, could you please drop that, uh, you know, a link to that into the chat on working like ED- on it. EDH rec. Thanks, Jackie. I know you're always on that stuff, but um, I, I, I did Scryfall. It has more stuff in there. <laughs> okay, sweet. It. I don't see it in the chat, but again, sorry, folks. Not on the. Not on the. Um, not on the screen. I'm only one person. <laughs> um, no problem. But is uh, camera shaking. No. Is okay. there an earthquake? <laughs> no, Hunter's sitting on my desk and he's purring really aggressively, so it's kind of I can hear my that. Shake. Um, oh, you can, can hear him. We can oh. hear the purper, but that's okay. Oh, that's um, okay. But basically, <laughs> uh, I think it got blocked. Um, I can. Oh, uh, I did. Oh, it got it got blocked. I can I can I can share it. Um, so uh, basically, what happened was uh, there was a card that came out, and uh, in in Magic the Gathering, it's um, it's called. Ishin two heavens as one. And for me, when I first saw that, I basically was like, oh, is are they trying to do like a white samurai? Turns out my my assumption was wrong, which is I'm I'm always happy to be proven wrong. Um, but when uh they released an article about Ishin, uh there was actually a a line above it written by one of the devs that said He's a human samurai, and while that may be what Tom Cruise aspired to be that one time, it does give us a couple of neat cards to think about. And, and for me, it's like, yeah, you're thinking about the last samurai. You're thinking about a, a white samurai in your set, and I'm delighted to to have been corrected that that is a mixed character, and I applaud mm-hmm. that. I think that's fantastic. But what I can't applaud is the intention behind some of the team members on it because it shows us that Mm -hmm. we are still very much rooted in this. We're going to view this as Westerners. We are going to design this set for a Western audience for that Western gaze, right? You can easily say, no, to bring up last year, bro. Just don't. There's, do it. Yeah, there's, yeah, that was that was an uncalled for comment that really should, I, I'm surprised that anyone. Yeah. yeah honestly. And then they, spy. and then they, well, here's the thing. They scrubbed it from the article. Yeah, um, of course we, they did. <laughs> we spoke out. We spoke out, and then they took it away. And they that took was it away. Good. 
but it, it basically goes back to Emma. Your original point is that, look, you literally wrote evaluating whether perspective is done effectively is near impossible because it's true, right? There are all of these unconscious biases at play here. And no matter how many sort of like consultants you bring in, if your team is primarily based in the West, they are going to bring that influence, that perspective into a property you're trying to make about the East. And we've seen that. Mm -hmm. We see that with that tradition versus technology. We see this like ninjas, samurai, fake Asian language, but everything's Japanese inspired. Right? So this is why I hold the global series so highly because we know that wizards can do it. And we know that there are great people who work at Wizards of the Coast. Right? We know that they are trying to do good, but these conversations need to happen. Yeah. And that's the point mm -hmm. of Asians Represent. These conversations need to happen. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Oh, so yeah. go ahead, Michelle. Go ahead, no, 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 go oh, ahead. It was just so I was like, to go ahead, Emma. Mine's <laughs> quick. It was just uh, you were saying the first thing you thought when you saw it. The first thing I thought was Ishin means like one heart. First of all, that was a really good ramen restaurant in, in uh, Toronto for a bit. But yep, like, yep. This is kind of one of those old things, too, where it's like Ishin, comma, two heavens as one. Like, I don't know what characters they use, so maybe that is the things but i'm reading it without kanji and i see ishin and think one heart but are people going to think ishin is just a direct translation meaning two heavens as one like and that's an and something we see in character a lot and in a lot of other asian media for western audiences like the elaborate naming system but also the connection between like actual meaning versus like title or extra meaning or extra stuff so that was my first thought with that one yeah it's a, it's again it's another example of like this is japanese inspired and we're gonna make a fake language but our names are real and these are japanese there, names <laughs> there was a lot of thought mm -hmm. put into the names too which i and we've respect. seen that with uh yeah. um um with the cultural consultant who who basically wrote about how the names went in and I love that. And we, we've invited yeah. them to come onto the show. And we're going to try to do this. Um, Putting that out in the world. <laughs> put, no, no. The, the, the DM has already been sent. The conversation is happening. Um, cool, 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 cool. We're going we're gonna to try to make this happen. I'm, I'm really excited about this. But here's, here's yeah. the thing, right? Like, Hiromi put out a really great thread about, like, here's what went into the names, right? we need to talk about this more in this lead up. It shouldn't be in a freelancer's Twitter thread. I want to see this in Watsi produced mm. content leading up to it. I want to, yeah. and again, everyone's qualified and whatnot, but I want to see a round table of the Japanese people who worked on this. Oh yeah. Like why? Yeah, I like I want to see that. The, including the diaspora. Including the diaspora. Exactly. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, I know I, you are. I'm just clarifying for yeah, yeah, for everyone. But like, <laughs> I want to see how you know the consultant from the of the diaspora worked with the team in Japan. I want to see how their perspectives were different, and I want to see how they kind of navigated that. Because a, you know, you're designing for a Western audience. Let's be honest. So, in, in mm -hmm. on one end, it's really really helpful to have someone of the diaspora there. But I want to see that conversation happen. And we live in an age of Zoom, like Jackie's in Florida, Michelle's in Boston, Emma and I are in Toronto. These conversations can happen. 
and so uh, that's where I kind of get disappointed um, when, yeah. you know, we just want to say it's Asian and we did this thing. Praise us. I'll, I'll praise you. There are there are things that are great. I'm I'm psyched for the set. But when I see something like Dockside Chef, so I'm gonna throw this in the uh, in the chat. So, oh, and I think man. this really ties into a point we were all going to talk about, and it's this idea of that outside versus inside perspective, and how this is a it is a flawed statement because it is an impossibility, mm. right? But also the idea that like we as Asian people all see and interact with the art and the story in very different ways. And when people speak up, be it about critical role, be it about magic, our first reaction should not be you're wrong or this can't be bad because we have a consultant. Yeah. Uh, and we see that a lot. Yeah. People I have had that. I had that this week. Marginalized, too. marginalized folks were not counter spells. Okay, you can't just use. Oh, we're, one not blue cards. we're not blue we're cards. We're not blue cards. Like, <laughs> we're you not. can't just use one marginalized person to cancel out the opinion of another marginalized person. There's like, a there's a meme somewhere like, where yeah. it's like a shot of someone's table, and it's the cultural <laughs> consultant is the untapped blue mana. That's not the case. <laughs> oh, we're not. God. We're not yeah. force of will. Like you, you like, yeah. please don't. That's what like, we see a lot. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, despite all of the things done well, like I said, one of the, I have some fundamental issues with it. One of those the depiction and the use and the inter human interaction with Kami. Yes. That's I want to talk that, about that. Well, I don't know if we have time. But no, like, we, we can. Let's, let's, let's finish it. I'm okay to keep going if you folks are okay to keep going. Oh, I'm fine. Sure. The, yeah. Yeah. Before we get to the comedy thing, I just wanted to quickly talk about this Dockside Chef dock card. Side, yeah. Yeah, because, because I think this is, yeah. because I think this is the, perfect example of how a system can be flawed if you don't have Japanese decision makers or Asian decision makers at the very top level, right? This is to me a card. This is a, this is a, you see this card and I never use it and I, I, I throw it away and I never touch it because I see a card. It's a black card. So I'm already thinking of like the, the themes of like, you know, black mana, right? I look at this and it's Dockside Chef. Okay, cool. It's a human citizen. It's sacrifice an artifact or creature and draw a card. So it's like, oh, you kill things, right? You kill things for a resource. You kill things for a resource. Mm -hmm. But then you look at that flavor text. And the flavor text here says, the squirming is how you know it's fresh. So the art, which basically depicts a bowl of ramen with an, with like an eyeball in it. There's an eyeball in it in the art. Um, I didn't see that eyeball. I, a, so, I just yeah, like so it, see, I got drawn to it, but, link. For, yeah. but for me, it's Zoom like in. you'll see it. But for me, it's every single, every single experience I've ever had bringing Chinese food to school. Yep. And people say, "Oh, oh, you're bringing noodles. You're eating worms." And, and this this card shows me that this was not designed with that insider and outsider perspective in mind. That's also that, like my well, someone who was on my committee, one of my senior colleagues who's kind of in control of my career saying, oh, I'm going to Japan for the first time. I'm not going to be able to eat anything. And me saying, why though? Just that perception that nothing is edible in Japan. Yeah, I mean. Something and, I, I, we and, deal with. <laughs> and everything is exotic and gross. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and it and, is. 
it, it sort of and then it definitely ties into that very racist mindset too of like especially that we saw in the um during the pandemic right now where uh people are like oh well if asian people didn't eat such weird things we wouldn't have this like with yeah yep. so yep. and yeah. you could say that the year <laughs> yeah it, yeah right and you but you could say that hey well in world it's this the kami need to eat fresh things well no first of all that's a terrible excuse because yeah of who you're designing this set for you're designing the set yeah. for western consumption mm-hmm. right? if- if I had to redesign that card in terms of flavor, I would make what it would a pawnbroker. I'd make it a yeah, pawnbroker. Like bringing your broken, bringing your broken like Duff. artifacts, and you can get like another thing. I want. You know what I would do? Thing. I want and a. I want a modder. If you if yeah. you're gonna lean in on the cyberpunk or whatever, this is up somebody who who can upgrade you. Who yeah uh, yeah a modder right? yeah. Like if you're gonna lean into that sci-fi thing, like oh maybe I'm like uh, an arms dealer. Right mm-hmm. or or a spy, an intelligence gatherer, because you're literally drawing a card. Yeah, you're drawing yeah. a card, so you're getting intelligence. So I'm it's surprised like, it didn't turn out to be mean, a nin- give me not even give me a rogue. Yeah, give me, it, this is actually if it was an intelligence gatherer, it would be the perfect way to do a ninja. Yeah, like I I don't understand why it had to be that at all. Like it 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 was just like this random little card of oh a little flavor of the world, make it not just all about ninjas and samurai, and it's just like. And you chose that. You could have chose just a pawnbroker or a pawn, uh, an or, upgrader. Or a pawnbroker of information. A, an informa- you could literally just call it information yeah. broker. Information yeah, information broker. broker. That would be perfect. There's be the fine. card. It's a, it's a, it'll be, it could still be a, it could yeah. be a black so, card if you want to yeah. have that violent side of it, right? You owe them mm-hmm. favors, right? Yeah. I think that's yeah. neat, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I will point this out. So before even today, I did what, so I, my, I showed this to my mentee who identifies as, you know, they're Vietnamese. I showed this card. I, they had no prefix, like no preface to magic. Like they have no idea about magic. I only explained the rough elements of like what the, the black man of color pie identity involves. And then I showed them this card and they had the same reaction of this exoticized Asian food yeah. without even having, with no, with very little me nudging and anything. I just said, this is what black mana usually archetypes reflect, reflect. This is what the card is. And so you get an effect, you get, you get, you sacrifice something to get an effect and you also, and then the, the flavor text. And so from all those combined, they came to the same conclusion. If so for somebody who doesn't even play magic or even knows anything about magic, they can draw to this conclusion. It's a very, for me, it's a very obvious one that it's harmful and it sucks. It's like telling me that my food is gross. Especially yeah. in something where food doesn't come up very often. So no. Yeah. And you could say, Oh, also- why didn't I get a food token out of this? Why, I yeah, was like, a lot why of didn't tokens. get a food token out of this? Like, that well, was the okay, one thing he, I, I here's, <laughs> Okay, here's why I don't think that they would have done a food token. So I think it would have been worse if they did a food token. Because now you're saying, oh, you eat gross things. And you're making Oh, and then they create, tokens. like, a gross food token? Yeah. Create, like, I don't know. You get, like, yeah. a I think it would have... of, like, a, a sushi plate with, like, weird things It's still top. alive. Or they'll, or they'll, like, conflate it with, like, you know, how, like, Koreans eat, like, the squid tentacles. Like, like they'll do something Which, by like the way, that. it's actually fine. I've always wanted to. It looks it looks great, first of all. I've done it once. Also, like, once. unless you have dietary, religious just re- restrictions, I totally get that. Um, and mm-hmm. beliefs. But... If you have the opportunity to try something and you are able to, do it. Um, Especially there's... if you're in another country. <laughs> exactly. This is yeah, yeah. Like, like if they wanted to do something food, like it's way too late now, but it could have been cute. Is within like Shinto, 
Yeah. Most offerings are sweet and yeah. sweets. Mm-hmm. So it would have been adorable if the Okami are integrated into this world more to have a food stall or some food element yeah. around like, oh, like a sweet oh, shop. Have you seen a, tra- a, traveling, seen a, a traveling cart? A traveling yeah. cart? Yeah. No, 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 but yeah. can you imagine a bento, a bento as an artifact? A bento. Like you can have artifact. a cute little bento and it's just like little like onigiri. And <laughs> oh. It's, yeah. oh. <laughs> We're and actually, like, oh, oh I can see it now. You can uh, food. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so that said, you mentioned Shinto. Uh, I would love to just kind of. I think what we should do is uh, lead into your your topic on literally kami and kamigawa. I want to talk about that, and then I think we should go back into uh, the patron questions. I want to know who the most dateable planeswalker is. Right. I haven't forgotten. I I, lit, I wrote it down. Like I said. <laughs> Um, that wasn't a Patreon question. It wasn't that a Patreon question. question. <laughs> 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 well, <laughs> I made it a Patreon question. I do what I want. Um, but I would love to talk about Kami. I want to know who the most dateable planeswalker is. And then I actually want to touch on the question of what, if anything, is this set doing to help bring an Asian person into the hobby and make them feel comfortable? Because so far we've talked about, hey, these are the tropes that it plays on. These is, this is the unconscious sort of bias that exists within this set. Here's this card that is, in my mind, objectively bad. Um, I want to know from all of you later on what brings someone in as an Asian person. But anyways, let's talk about Kami first because that is central to both the narrative and the mechanical side of things here. It's also related to uh, Kara's question in our patron chat about did they actually fix issues with the original Kamigawa? Oh, okay, I'll add that because I, I I hadn't looked back in the patron chat, so I'm glad you caught that. Thank you. Yeah, and be, I noticed it because it kind of relates to one of my main problems was the Kami War and the depiction of Kami and the nature of them. And... I've read some of the stories and some of the background of the cards that that have been posted. I haven't read all of the stories. It's <laughs> a lot. There's a lot. A lot. Um, there's a lot. Yeah, but there are still a bunch of things that, and I'm going to be completely honest, that as a Japanese Canadian who has spent a good amount of time in Japan, I was raised Shin Buddhist, which still incorporates elements of Shintoism and just living living Japanese life incorporates Shinto stuff because the kami are absolutely everywhere. They're kind of everything, but there's still a sacredness and things to keep in mind. And so the treatment and the depiction of kami and all of the things they can do and do through interactions with humans, a lot of it, I'm just like, oh, that doesn't, it doesn't feel right. I don't, I don't like that. Or, oh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> and I think part of that is a complication of trying to make uh, something like Kami, which is super complicated, and make it something that people are interacting with on a regular basis in the real, like, not just in a spiritual, sacred manner, that they are things that are bopping around. So a bunch of the things I would say move more into yokai and other entities, things that they're known to do. There is some overlap between kami and yokai. Not going to get into that. But in general, 
I think there needs to be a certain level of respect toward Kami and especially a religion, religion or life and philosophy practice, like a lived thing. People are still living. Um, and I don't know. Sometimes it's just, it gives me Pokemon vibes. Like these Kami are just hanging out being cute. They're in the way they're huddled around a light or, they're like more like yokai and demons in that they're actually messing with people or manipulating them. And then there are times when I think it's veering more into other cultures' concepts of gods and deities rather than Japanese concepts. And then there were things that just don't make sense to me, like channeling Kami to gain powers or allowing yourself to be possessed by a Kami in order to draw from their abilities and their characteristics. Like that kind of stuff. is just like, doesn't make sense to me in my world of <laughs> understanding of Kami and Shinto. Right. And like, I have a, I, I made a list that. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to actually talk about that list. Cause you, you, there's two cards that you mentioned. I'll put them in our chat. Uh, Go Shintai of hidden cruelty. And uh, Goshintai of ancient wars. You kind of talk about like you you put like you said Goshintai are uh, is a receptacle for spirits and kami. Can you kind of like talk about why you put that note in there and kind of how that might contrast how they're depicted? Yeah, and the the fact that the term was used as a name of the card also it's like that's a real thing. So Goshintai is not made up. And it's an honorific. Like, Shintai is like, it's a thing. Go Shintai, like, you're being serious. That's, it's a big deal. It's um, a big part of Shinto is that, yeah, the kami are everywhere, but they're essentially immaterial. Depictions of them as people didn't really show up until Buddhism arrived. And then we get a whole bunch of crazy stuff happening, like syncretism, but also the the founding of what is considered Shinto, which is just not Buddhism, <laughs> essentially. All of the beliefs that were just not Buddhism became Shinto. And yeah, a go Shintai is kind of essential because it's the only way to, in, I don't know, basic terms, lock down the kami. They are things that naturally draw kami or they are ritually purified and become a receptacle to the kami. So the shrines often have objects or things within them that are a goshintai, that attract a kami and give people a way to go and directly talk to worship or somehow interact with them. And so uh, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how they're using Like a lot of the times they're talking about goshintai as if it's people. And in real life, there are as far as I know, two types of people that can be receptacles to the kami. Priests and yokozuna. <laughs> so in uh, sumo, you will see sometimes the yokozuna wearing uh, the essentially shinto ritual ropes and sometimes even the shide, the paper zigzaggy things. There are very few people who are I don't know, allowed to, but also capable of doing that. And so for me, having a whole bunch of really negative kami 
living in negative people, making them do bad things just clashes with my, my views and my feelings in Shinto and of the Kami. Yeah. These two cards that you sent are, they're, they're tech, they're they're creatures, they're enchantment creatures. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the thing here that I'm kind of catching on and again, correct me if I'm wrong, is that like, these are real cultural rules that are being broken. These are concepts from real from Japanese culture that are being incorporated and kind of appropriated in a way that fits this story that they are trying to tell about a not Japan. But when you take something real, when you take something that people live and you try to well, change it to meet a certain narrative, you ultimately fail that culture that you're drawing inspiration from. And um, yeah, it's it's complicated because there are probably a lot of people in Japan who wouldn't mind or wouldn't care. Um, and there are a lot of Japanese diaspora who aren't Shinto, don't practice. This doesn't really matter. And I've been thinking about it, like, would this bother me if it was made exclusively by, like, a Japanese creator and company? Because ultimately Japan can do a bunch of things with its own culture, religion, and depictions of society that others can't. But like, just, I, I can't get over these uses of kami. And this is where I think like, just don't use the word kami. Yeah. Because it's not an empty, meaningless or old outdated word. It's still a thing. These are still practices (laughs) just to be safe. Maybe don't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's a religious absolutely. thing, right? Yeah. It's a living religion. And I think that's hearkening back to, once again, the decision to make this Kamigawa. It's in the name. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't you can't take it out. And again, it just goes back to the decision of just you hamstring yourself when you decide to incorporate a flawed product. I mean, if you're going to approach this set uh with that same lodestone cultural touchstone it's going to have these effects and so this i think was clearly like when when i look at it from a mechanical perspective i'm like okay i can see what they're doing here they previously have seen shrines they want to do like a shrine tribal thing um Mm -hmm. a, a shrine creature type thing um and you know they don't have to it they could just not do that yeah and and so you could have like ghosts ghosts possess people and it goes back to that question no big deal the question (laughs) that you ask yourself is why yeah Yeah. like why what does this benefit why are you doing this right who does this hurt who does this benefit the only thing this is doing is it's for nostalgia because kamigawa started the whole shrine concept in the beginning and then they did another cycle of shrines and now we're back again to shrines and here we are yeah yeah it's like because you've already set up that expectation with that association, yeah. you have to hit those same notes again. Yeah, like it, there's the Myojin in the commander slot for the for the set boosters that are, you know, and I'm just like, why? And, and could we not? <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll say this, right? If you looked at this set and you took away and you stripped it of the Japanese names, the writing, what, it, what do we have? Right. Certain elements are like of the like, let's disregard like the Japanese art. Right. Mm -hmm. Could you tell this story 
in any other culture. Let's change the art. But could you tell the story in any other culture? Yeah. Right? I think you I think you could. So then wh- why that... are you making it Japanese? Like what what about this makes it Japanese? Because to me when I look at this and I'm like what makes this uniquely Japanese? It's the thing I mean, it's, Oh, it's, go ahead, go ahead. I maybe I should rephrase that question. When I look at this and I'm looking at the set and I'm, I'm hearing Emma's thoughts on the kami. I'm having my own thoughts on this really weird dichotomy of tradition versus hyper like like technological advancement. Like lo- to me logically it just doesn't make sense. Things just aren't going to be preserved if like you you said Emma th- there's no use to them. Why are they here? You are forcing tradition in a way where you basically say, "Oh, the things that are traditional about here are simply an aesthetic." The mm-hmm. architecture, right? Things like that. It's like it, it it lacks a certain logic, um, and it it ultimately ends up kind of being a little disrespectful uh, of how you are trying to portray Japanese people, especially when you're leaning on the fact that it's not Japan, but it's heavily Japanese inspired because we put all these real cultural elements and real the real Japanese language in the set. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I and I honestly another I think, thing that go ahead I sorry forgot, and Sailor brought up was like there there is mention of us almost like blood and body sacrifice and human sacrifice a little for some of the kami who want to see like chaos and blood and I'm gonna say like that's just that's not really it's not really mm, what that's no, about because mm-hmm. if we're talking about something being pure or clean in Shinto and even Buddhist belief like blood and body and all of that is a no. Like I said, Kami, if you're going to give them anything, they usually want sweets, they want beautiful flowers, they want sake, because who doesn't? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, Yeah. yeah. I'm just sort of now thinking like of Black Panther and the way that they created Wakanda. Um, and how, in a lot that's of ways, really that's much more successful um, than what we see here. And I think it's because they they put um, the African and like African diaspora perspective front and center within that movie and behind the scenes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. there was no question when you watched it that even though Wakanda has. Uh, modern technology even more modern than us if anything that the futuristic technology that they have really should have been the template for what we should have seen in kamigawa what does a purely japanese like use of technology look like which is the question we asked before with that that's a question they answered within black panther what does a nation that has never been colonized what does their technology look like what does their music look like how do they how do they look um how do they behave with one another and i think what they achieve there is far more authentic in terms of their uh, perspective and in terms of their attention to detail their care um much more than this then again they also are i have a huge budget but well i mean i'll say this like (laughs) i think black black panther and like wakanda itself is a really interesting exercise in like sort of speculative fiction right this is what you know these fictional sort of um analogs of real cultural artifacts 
this is how they can be incorporated into a like a sort of literal Wakanda is a science fiction setting. It's, it's it's awesome, right? But it's the same reason why I think that Black Panther is a far superior movie to Shang Chi, right? Yep. Black Panther does everything that I want. Honestly, if you took Black Panther's story and you just made it Shang Chi, I'd be fucking happy. I could watch both of them and I can get the same thing twice. Um, yes, but like it's that thing with Shang Chi. You basically were like, we want to have this sort of like Asian perspective, but everything about Shang Chi's story is about being an immigrant and not belonging, either at home or where you came from, and. It also tells you that you can't be a hero unless you go back to China. That's what Shang-Chi literally says. Like, not the character, but that's that's one of the literal elements of the movie. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I see this set, I see like, okay, well, this futuristic Japan that they're trying to portray is a, like Emma said, a land of contradiction. It is a place where everything that the West sees in Japan is just amalgamated into one. It's mecha, not like mecha with double C's. It's mecha like robots. It's giant robots. It's ninjas. It's samurais. It's, you know, big skyscrapers. It's, it's origami. It's origami. Origami. But then it's also like there's this religion that we are trying to allude to and this spirit world that we are trying to allude to. But we are drawing on something that's very real while not actually trying to replicate it because we think we're being respectful by not making a one-to-one analog. But if you use the the word kami, you're going to draw those comparisons and these sort of negative sort of feelings. Like, Emma, you have, you know, been vulnerable and expressed that. They won't go away. They will be there. And it won't catch everyone, but it caught me. Like, Mm -hmm. if you remember when we did the original Kamigawa set, I was like, this is genuinely upsetting to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, And... that said, I think one of the things we should do is like answer some of the questions. Because so, we had two questions that I think we should kind of address. Um, one was by one of our patrons who said, you know, how does this help bring an Asian person into the hobby and make them feel comfortable? Um, I think the marketing alone, the the tropes that they are. And I see when you say Asian person, I cannot speak for somebody in Asia. Because I would, I'm going to assume that that question is about somebody of the diaspora, or somebody who just lives in North America, right? There are things in here that are meant to that we see in our pop culture, and it's samurai, ninjas, and mechs. It's conflict. It's that cyberpunk aesthetic, right? Not a not every Asian person will feel the same way that we feel about cyberpunk. There are going to be tons of people who say, "I have no problem with this," and to them, I say, "That's totally okay." But that doesn't mean that how I feel about it is incorrect. And so for me, I think there, there's a lot that's going to bring people into this. And it's definitely that futuristic setting. It's the fact that these, the, the designs look slick. The art is fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. It's tasty. I, it's tasty. It's, it's good stuff. It's, it's good. Yeah. I, I think for me, what to answer that question from my perspective, what... Because, I mean, I've seen, you know, as someone, as another Asian diaspora, Vietnamese, like, diaspora person, like, we've seen these tropes before. We've watched this anime. Like, we've seen all this stuff. Um, I was looking for something deeper. And Mm -hmm. as someone who enjoys researching and doing crafts 
too much to my partner's consternation. Um, <laughs> I like to do all the crafty things. I loved seeing the deeper cuts. So I mentioned this before. I adore woodwork and marquetry from across the world. It's one of my things. I just like it. It's cool. It's cool. Um, it's cool stuff. Like from stuff from Versailles to what I mentioned before, Hakone Yosegi marquetry. And if you're not familiar with this, it is a really old technique that goes back to the Edo period. And it's about combining, meticulously combining bits of different colored wood geometrically and then gluing them together and then shaving bit, like sheets off and then putting them onto boxes or other decorative objects. It is... Something that not everyone would know unless you understand and have an appreciation for that craft. And I think I know why they chose that. And the art I'm speaking of is from uh, Boseju um, Reaches for the Sky. I think that's what it's called. Uh, Boseju Reaches Skyward. Yeah, Reaches um, Skyward. Yeah, it's a beautiful. It's also a really good card, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, what I love about that approach to that art is it. that not only does it evoke, you can see the individual wood grain lines, but you can also it also has a sort of weird pixelated quality to it, right? So it's you, it, it, in some ways it's trying to evoke both things, but it stays very firmly within its lane of this is a craft, and we are going to celebrate and showcase this craft this uniquely japanese craft within this setting so for me seeing that someone thought to incorporate japanese woodcraft i'm like yes yes mm -hmm. thank you and then also there's another uh saga that shows um two vases stacked on top of one another inside a traditional japanese kiln as a ceramicist, I was also excited to see that because I have visited a few of the traditional kilns and they're huge. And like inside, they're just filled with like you would see stacks and stacks of vases like that inside traditional um, kilns. And that was really fun. On the backside, when you flip it, you can see the finished vase with like wreathed by smoke because the yeah. firing has been completed. So I was like, yes ceramics I, and i think that there are <laughs> and i think there are some really really incredible things in this set honestly i have uh, a bosager reaches skyward i have two of them i'll give you one for your squirrel deck because i think it's really good for your squirrel deck it's really good for the squirrel deck it's really um, good for the squirrel deck Squirrels, like I'll, I mean, yeah. it's a tree too. Do you think like, about it? It's a tree. Like it's I a am, kind of I if am... they had given me some cards with Hokkaido squirrels on it, I would have lost my mind. A missed opportunity. I wish they had Hokkaido. So I'm, 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 I'm not gonna lie. Like, you know, you and As I have known each We've known each other for like almost a decade. Uh, we've known each other yeah. for over a decade. And right. I, when I'm looking through these, I'm like, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not shitting you. Like, I'm looking for for squirrels for you. Come um, on. Japanese schools are adorable. They're adorable. They got the little <laughs> ear tufts, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. now that said, like, or there's the Esomamanga with the giant eyes. I want to. Oh, so, I like, I want to talk about things that like we really like, right? Like, what did we like? Mm -hmm. That was one of the questions, and what gets people into this? I think that gets people into this because these are two questions. The thing that gets mm -hmm. people into this is going to be the artistic side of the game. I don't think people are gonna just hop in to Magic the Gathering, Neon Neon Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, because they like the story. That's something you mm -hmm. kind of discover <laughs> as you play yeah. the game. I think people are going to get into this because it's cyberpunk, because it's mech, be mecha, because it's ninjas and samurai, and the art is gorgeous. 
Um, yeah. I think and there's we, also references like Miyamoto Musashi. Yeah. Yeah. Ishin. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But like the question is about comfort though. Like, yeah, true. You may be able to get a lot of people into it, but I think ultimately how do you keep, how do you comfort, make them stay? How do you make them stay is the other thing. Comfort is super complicated because that has to do with the, the pl- like the players themselves, the community. Like I never would have just picked up, made a deck and went and played with random people. I'm playing with people I already know and trust. Majority of which already are Asian themselves. And yeah, most of us are Look Asian. at things differently, you know? Like yeah. I don't know if any, like this product, uh, just because it exists, will make Asian and Asian diaspora more likely to come in or feel comfortable. That's up to everyone else. And I also yeah. think that has to just deal with the community <laughs> and like being like, how do you react to people's yeah. criticisms of this? And so far we've seen it's negative, right? It's, it's again, it's, it's, it's the problem with fandoms. It's how dare you attack the thing I love because you attacking the thing I love is an attack on me. That, that is one of the problems with fandoms, right? It's a thing we saw with like Oriental Adventures. It's like, this isn't racist. I'm not a racist. My wife is Asian, right? That was like a whole thing with Oriental Adventures. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you're wrong. You can't call this racist because I'm not a racist. And yeah, I, I, yeah. I think that people are going to like it. Asian people are, I'm sure Asian people will like this. But I think the thing that keeps them in magic is finding community. And it's the gathering. It's the gathering. Oh, the, 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 the other oh, half God. of the game. The gathering. <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's the gathering part. And I enjoy playing magic. I'd say 80% of the reason why I enjoy playing magic is because I like the people that I play magic with. I thought you were going to say 80% of the time. <laughs> 80% of the time. No, it's because... <laughs> My decks work. Uh, no, um, I enjoy no. playing Magic. Maybe sixty-five percent. Sixty-five percent of that. No, no, no. The rest, no, no. Of, the, the rest of that percent is this is bullshit. This is bullshit. This game is bullshit. Um, <laughs> so for me, it's like I'm not not to be like sentimental or anything, but like I like it because of the people I play with. Like I like just like chilling and playing mm-hmm. Magic, and it's fun. Um, and that's what's gonna keep people staying. Like having those communities. It's why like I don't think D and D Adventurers League is a great way to get people into D and D because of that community and how people play it. Um, I think people. I think half of the battle of getting an Asian person to like this is making them feel welcome, and making them feel yeah. welcome is not just in how the games designed the story and the art. It's also in like the community. So. That that's that's my take on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't I don't know if any of you want to add anything to that. I think we answered I, both I can, of those questions. Can, Go for I it. Mean, I can kind of add to it a little bit, just because like you Give know the re- part of the reason that Michelle was influential in bringing me back to Magic was because every you know I could find another community again to talk about Magic and play it potentially, and that was the thing that I missed for the longest time, and that's why usually I always come in and out of Magic was I never really could have a steady group, and. Um, and there was a part of my life when I was doing competitive, and I don't, and that in of itself is a is a is its own thing. So, but like, it's really about that community aspect, and this that's the, always the biggest part of Magic the Gathering or anything really is just having people you can trust to be with, that you can trust to be with, and that you have that you love to be with, and sharing an experience together. So, um, and and that's the thing, and. I feel like even when we went through all of this, we all still felt together about like, okay, yeah, let's talk about why 
why we feel this for these things because we all trust each other we all love each other and so we want to explore these parts of us and explore why we are feeling this way and why and what can we do for it or if there what can or what can we what can we hope for better exactly yeah i mean like this is uh i mean the whole the whole part of this is like we're not trying to be negative we want to make this better and in order to have you know people feel more comfortable in this hobby we need to have these hard conversations yeah and um, it's so amazing to have seen the effort and care put into a lot of um like the art and representations of like traditional stuff. And it's really clear. I mean, is this better than old Kamigawa? Oh, definitely. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah well, wait, again, 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 if that's, if that's our measure there. of success, yeah. this is a like, huge success. This but is also, a huge success, but like, could it be better? Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> but you can tell by how complicated the responses are and how much explanation is needed and that they have done so much better but the mm -hmm. things that still bother someone like me are really complicated <laughs> so my men so my mentee loved this analogy i gave it's like okay if you're imagining american football you're in the you're in one end of the field you run up you get your plays all the way to the seventy yard, the seventy yard mile, the seventy yard That's line. A yard. You get two thirds of the way. I do. I have yeah, to. That's Sorry. fine. You get two thirds of the way, and instead of trying to go for the touchdown, you just aim for a field goal, and you just decide to kick the kick the football all the way up instead, and just settle. Set. You just decided to settle instead. This, of, like, is, this assumes putting, I know what a field goal is. Well, okay. <laughs> you, you, you know the basics of football. It's like, I didn't it's know like that you settling... could run and then just kick it through the thing. Is that a thing? Yeah, you run yeah. and you can kick it through the thing. I thought That's that was like a setup thing. thing. Like, okay, no, sorry, no, no. set up for it, but you can you do it. Okay, it, you can kick it. Okay, yeah, because yeah, the way Jackie was describing, it, I thought like I see some like uh, somebody running with the ball and then they just stop and be like instead of a touchdown, oh, they line it, it up now. and throw it. I was like, oh, yeah. I've never seen <laughs> like, that. I. I I mean, like, it's it's important. I know that we've been talking a lot about how it can do better, and that's a thing. Like, we we know the potential here. We mm -hmm. see the effort. We see the energy. We see the talent. You know, it's like seeing um, kind of like a wing Jackie. It's like seeing someone like you do, get so close to the goal marker, and you, it, like you, we're you, we're doing the Olympics right now. Like yeah. this this is like you were so close to meddling, or like you were so close to gold. You know, here, let's take this. Let's look at your performance. Let's play back some of this footage. Here's how we can do better next time. And that's the thing that I think I want to sort of just call out is like, this is the right path. This, you are headed in the right direction. You need to keep going. And I hope they do. Yeah. As long as you, you know, we talk a lot about like how, some things are just never going to, you know, nothing's ever going to be perfect. Perfection is something that we cannot achieve as humans, but it does not mean that we should not strive. And the fact that, you know, wizard is striving and is striving hard, I think is a good sign. My mm -hmm. only hope is that, you know, if this set takes off, the set is successful, which I think it has been, um, that they will continue to put the funding and the people in to pursue this, to what will hopefully be the next level. And the next time we sit down and have this conversation, we can, you know, we'll have more to talk about with that. Yeah. It's, it's an ongoing dialogue and 
even though, you know, we're sitting here critiquing a lot of things, I'm looking forward to hopefully having another one. And yeah, I want to add to that. I think a thing, an important thing to add to that is, you know, if they see that it's a success, they will, you know, make more of it. I agree. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I want them to see it as a success, but also know why it didn't succeed. Because it's easy to for a, a large company to be like, "Yeah, this was really great. Make more of it." Yeah, right. right. That, be, that's what get we better. get. But get, that's not what better. we want. We want better. it. We want it to be. This was a success. How can we make it an even bigger success next time? And right. honestly, for me, it's the model of the global series. It's what they did yes. with the global you series. Had it right there. You had, they like literally the had it. You've already done it. <laughs> you. It's like you literally had the formula, and you decided to just change one thing on the recipe. Yeah. That. That. I, and yeah. That's. I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a question of scaling, but the principle of the yeah. the approach. The intent. Should have been the intent. Yeah. 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 The intent. Um. But that. Yeah, but that said, you know, it's we've gone way longer. I. I we could, Do you need me to talk about a dateable place? <laughs> yeah, we need to talk about that. Still. I mean, we need to we need to end on something positive, right? I mean, we have been talking about positive things. I think this we think this set is a success. It is mm-hmm. way it is a successful set, weighed down by an uncon maybe an, a probably an unconscious over reliance on problematic tropes. Let's be honest there. The fact mm-hmm. that they, I hate when you say this is like when they say this is like insert Asian culture inspired because that's your excuse to just appropriate. Um, it, it's, and I'm not saying that they appropriated this time around, but there is a lack of tact when they're thinking about the, when they're picking and choosing the real world cultural elements that they are trying to make analogies for in this game. And I think that's where it, it, it fails. Um, now that said, you know what's amazing? Our amazing patrons. They are amazing. In fact, they are yeah. so amazing that they are honorable. Um, oh yeah, that's right. I'll say it. Um, I Normally, this is the time when my partner, Sarah, brings Marla. Marla has a Marla has done a lot related to Magic the Gathering. Marla has. Have you have you just put her off entirely after exposing her to the Doom Box of Light? Marla has <laughs> has squeaked for Magic. Honestly, Marla loves all of you, and I don't want to subject Marla to that. Um, it's fine. But that said, our amazing patrons make this possible. Um, they are the reason why Asians represent can still, you know, exist. Right? We do a lot of free emotional and intellectual labor here. Um, oh, Marla is here. Hi, Marla. Marla, do you want to say hi? She's like, yeah. Oh, oh squeak. <laughs> so squeak. Hi, so Marla. Grumpy. Hi, Marla. <laughs> so grumpy. A little bit closer this way. Oh, there's Marla. Hey, everyone. Marla wants to thank you, amazing patrons. Um, our guardians of the realm, Brooke Bright, Pixel Grotto, and Daisy Daisy May, and the most honorable, right, Marla? Marla, can you say honorable? The most honorable Metal Weave Games, Valorous Games, Dungeon Glitch slash Matt, and the most honorable two times Epic Impulse. Um, I will, I'm going to change this, Marla, back to here so more people can see you. Mar- you, you know. One day she's just going to rage barf on you on camera. Exactly. Okay, Marla, thank, thank you, Sarah. Love you. 